0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Untitled Podcast. I'm Crystal, and today we'll be discussing relationships. Juicy stuff, I know. And before we get started, I'd like to credit one of my close friends, my only close friend, Rossly. thank you for suggesting some of the topics we'll be discussing today. I hope everyone enjoys, and let's get on into it. So first, I'd like to ask the question of why do we yearn for relationships, just thinking about it on a very simple level, both um, platonic relationships and romantic, why do we as human beings desire those things? Is it, you know, at least thinking a bit more romantically, I hope you're not doing this with your friends, but the desire to fulfill sexual needs. Is it the yearning for attention by, you know, constantly having someone there almost waiting on your hand and foot? Is it wanting to have a reliable person in your life or is it just simply looking for a distraction? And frankly, I don't know why, honestly. I I kind of do think about this quite a bit in my free time, you know, with something I'll be discussing later is kind of that obsession with being in a relationship. And I question why I buy into that stuff, you know? Why does anyone really want to be in a relationship, you know? Especially a romantic relationship. I understand the desire to have friends, but you know, what's with that big push to be in a romantic relationship? So, what kind of you flushing that out of it today? Because honestly, at the moment, I don't know. So we'll see where this goes today. I kind of want to start by touching on this pressure that exists to date young. And I know we may not consider dating in our teens or early 20s to be young, but it's just this fascinating thing that, you know, once you hit puberty in particular, like It kind of becomes that thing of, oh, who are you dating? Who do you have a crush on? You know, like we really normalize discussion about those types of things. And not that that's inherently bad, but it's just so fascinating to think about. And kind of in America, you know, because that's where I live. That's what I can speak about the most kind of in American culture, especially when you watch like TV and movies and whatnot and read books, you know, you're reading books about protagonists who are like 15 years old and are doing things they really shouldn't be doing until they're like in their 20s, right? Right. So I think that that's really interesting. And, you know, we see that kind of stuff. We consume that type of content and don't really bat an eye because, you know, having sex at 16 and just seeing the crazy things that kids on like shows like Riverdale, who are supposed to be like freshmen, sophomores in high school, we see the things that they're doing and, you know, don't bat an eye. That's like normal high school stuff, right? So I kind of want to talk a bit more about that. So starting off, I want to throw some fun numbers at you. Um, Because I was pretty shocked myself to find this out when I was doing a bit of research for this episode. Um, The average age that kids, because that's what they are, definitely kids, in the U.S. have sex. Let's start off with that big one. 16 to 17 years old for men and women, according to the CDC. I am in shock. But I guess not really. But I'm in shock. That is absolutely insane to me because... 16, 17 years old, baby, you have barely touched calculus and you may not have even taken human anatomy yet and you're having sex, like that's insane to me. So, you know, you might be listening to this being like, oh, but I did that at 16, 17 and I turned out fine. Great for you, but it's just such a crazy thing to think about. When I look back at, you know, the type of person I was when I was 16, 17 years old, I feel like I was very much a child. I consider myself to be a mature person, but, you know, for something of that nature. I feel like I was, you know, a child and didn't really even think about that kind of stuff. So I think it's really interesting to know that that's the average. Um, I guess I can say I'm above average at something in my life. Um, don't know if that's particularly a good thing. Um, first kiss. I think this one's pretty interesting. About 15 years old. Um, I don't know how I feel about that one. I feel like that's actually pretty solid. Again, I'm above average and I don't know if I should be putting this on the internet, but yeah. Um I think that that's I guess that's solid. Um 15. I feel like that's actually pretty solid. Like and then about a year later you'd have sex for the first time. Young nonetheless, but you know the desire as I've mentioned earlier that desire to be in a relationship with another person does I guess come pretty early, so I can't be entirely surprised that people are having their first kisses at 15 years old um do with that information with you will um yeah and then as it comes to like officially dating um according to the american academy of pediatrics it's about 12 years old for girls and 13 for boys so we're looking about the sixth grade which as i said makes sense you know a lot of people can look back and be like their first serious crushes or relationships probably did happen in middle school so i guess i see that although i think it's kind of funny You know, thinking back on what a 12-year-old relationship could be like, you know, your parents chaperoning you going to the movies and stuff like, you know, like what two 12-year-olds could be doing in a relationship, I have no clue. But if you like each other, I guess go for it. Um, I kind of want to go in and suggest my own more appropriate, if you will, alternatives to these ages. This is just for fun. Um, So starting from... The last age we mentioned, which is 12 for girls, 13 for boys in terms of starting dating. I think 12 years old, I don't know what you're doing in a relationship at 12 years old. I'll say it again. Like I just, I can't fathom what two 12 year olds are doing. Of course, if you have a crush on someone and the person has a crush on you and you choose to pursue it, I don't think you should stop just because you're 12, but just thinking about what a serious, you know, quote unquote, serious relationship could be like at 12 is fascinating to me. So I would say in terms of looking for like a serious, serious relationship Uh, I don't know if I can give an exact age, but I'd probably say around like 17, 18. I think, yeah. So we're talking like junior, senior year of high school. I think that's when you can have a serious relationship. You can drive for one. So you can actually see this person outside of school. Um, You know, by then your parents will probably feel more comfortable with you hanging out with this person alone. Um, You can, you know, go on legitimate dates. I think at that point you've also developed so much as a person that, you know, there's more for you to offer and more for you to receive in this relationship. So yeah, in terms of like a serious, committed relationship, I'd say like 17, 18. And then going on to having your first kiss. Um, In a perfect world, everyone would have their first kiss with the person they're in a relationship with for the first time. But I know that that's not always the case. So hmm, if I'm going to keep first kiss and dating separate, I guess I'll say... Let's move that 15 to 16. Why not? Let's move that average age from 15 to 16. That's fine. And in terms of having sex, I think this is something that should totally be moved up. I'm highly concerned about 16 and 17 year olds having sex. So I would say, hmm. let's move that to 18. Why not? Um, it's also a matter of, I know this, I believe it varies by state as well within the U S about the age of consent I think in a lot of places it is 16. So I guess if you're having sex at 16, it's not horrible, but you know, I feel like at 16, there's just so much more growing to do. And there's so much that comes with having sex. A lot of 16 year olds may not, you know, fully understand how to use, um, why am I blanking on the word contraceptive? Yes. A lot of, you know, kids at age may not know how to use contraceptives, the importance of contraceptives. And, you know, it's been a you know, age-old debate in U.S. education about whether or not to have mandatory sex education. There's been a lot of pushback to that. So a lot of kids graduate high school without having sex education. So that makes me all the more concerned about kids having sex in freshman, sophomore year of high school. So for that reason, I would hope that you've done a lot of growing by that time. Um, You're just more educated. If you're a woman, you might be on birth control. And you might be more comfortable with testing. That's another thing, you know, when you're young, no one really wants to or really thinks to, you know, get tested for any type of STDs, STIs, whatever it may be. So, yeah, I think you'd be a more informed sexual partner and a safer sexual partner if you have sex when you're older. So those are my suggestions there. Um, Moving on to talking about like relationships themselves and kind of going back to this point about the American pressure to date young. You know, the ages I just mentioned to you are all below the age of 18. You know, we're talking really, really, really young kids. And I think that there's just this huge rush to grow up and to do these very much adult things. You know, I don't know. I don't, I can't pinpoint where that comes from because I think that while the content and the media that we consume very much um encourage these things, I think they're also a reflection of society's values. So I can't, you know, fully blame it, say like, you know, these TV shows are making kids have sex at 15. Like, no, like kids were already having sex at 15. And this show just wrote that into the plot because, you know, the writers knew that that was acceptable because it's real. So I don't know. Like, it's just, there's definitely this huge rush to grow up. Everybody wants to be an adult and do adult things. And I just don't know why. I think you should appreciate being a kid, not just in a relationship sense, but in every other sense of what it means to be a kid take advantage of the fact that you don't have to drive anywhere you don't have to fill up your cars with gas take advantage of the fact that you're not you know old enough to start working paying bills etc you know i don't i don't really understand where the rush to grow up comes from i would like to say that part of it could be that you know i guess this is one thing i will blame the media for and social media is kind of putting forth these images of like the perfect twenties, if you will, you know, everyone wants to be rich in their twenties. Everybody wants to travel the world, you know, date, marry, whatever. And it all looks so perfect and so fun because of course, when you're under the age of 18, there's restrictions on the things you can do in some places. There's restrictions on how late you can stay out at night. You can't drink. You're not supposed to smoke, etc. So there's so many things I guess that you can't do, um, when you're young, that there's that overwhelming desire that I need to do those things at this point in my life. So, yeah, that's my two cents. I haven't fully fleshed that out within myself yet to be able to tell you. But if I, you know, come to a more definitive conclusion, I'll definitely let you know. Um, something I also wanted to touch on is what I call the love life timeline. I feel like, you know, if you, you know, based on these average ages and just kind of looking at people around you, you kind of get a gist of what the general timeline is and what it should be um for people living in the US. So I kind of noted your teen years as a dating phase, you know. This is when people have um of, as we noted before, they have sex for the first time, they have their first kiss, they get into their first relationship. That's usually in your teens. It's pretty expected that you date in your teens. It's not, you know, weird to have a boyfriend or girlfriend or a significant other of any other sort in your teen years. And, you know, it's almost strange, you know, to look back and be like, you didn't date a single person in high school. So rightfully, I noted the teens as the dating phase of your life. I noted early adulthood as um, dating seriously and also dating to marry. Um, a lot of people enter those committed relationships in their early 20s. I'm talking 20, 21, 22, 23, et cetera. And that's a fascinating thing. I don't think there's anything wrong with it, but it's so interesting that a lot of us find the person that we wanna spend the rest of our lives or convince ourselves, in some cases, that we found the person we wanna spend the rest of our lives with in our early 20s, barely out of college. So that's fascinating. And then getting into the late 20s, we're talking over the hump of 25, marriage and children. And that to me is, that's the part of the timeline that I think is the most messed up, that it's like, you know, especially as a woman, If I hit 30 and have not had a single child and I'm not married, people think I am weird and I am a hag. And that is absolutely insane. I don't think we really understand how young 30 is. And I really don't like the fact that, especially for women, hitting 30 is like you have now put one foot in the grave, which is absolutely ridiculous. You are still quite young at 30. There's so much learning and growing that you have to do when you're 30 years old. And beyond that, So the fact that it's the norm and there's that pressure, overwhelming pressure in your late 20s to get married and have children. Of course, if that's just something you personally desire, there's nothing wrong with that. I think you live one life. There's no reason to put off marrying the person you love or put off having children with the person you love just because you're in your late 20s. You know, Definitely there's a balance between that. But for people who are in their late 20s, aren't married or looking to be married at that time and don't have children, don't feel like you're just so behind everyone else that you're a failure of any sort, that you're never going to find love or a family. That's absolutely preposterous, you know? We, you know, live an average lifespan of like 80 years. Like you have so much time. And, you know, again, there's so much to enjoy about that point in your life. You're still very young, you know? Think about it this way. If you're like me, think about it as if you're not married and you don't have kids, you have the freedom to do whatever you want. If you decided to pick up and move to another country and in another country and another country, you know, in your late twenties, you have the freedom to do so. So, you know, don't feel pressured to follow this timeline if it just doesn't work for you. Um, and I kind of want to contrast this for a second with another country. I want to use South Korea just because it's the only country um, I know a little bit about in order to kind of make that comparison. And I believe I was watching a documentary the other day, actually. And I believe it mentioned that the average age of marriage in Korea is 31. And I think that's fascinating. And especially if you know anything about like um, the entertainment industry over there, celebrity culture, et cetera. It's like if you're a celebrity and you're in like a serious relationship in your early 20s, you know, some people might be like, yo, like that's crazy. Like that's wow. Like don't do that especially if we look at like the idol industry, et cetera, it's like, you know, 20 years old, 21, 22 to be in a relationship, especially if you're a celebrity is like odd. Of course, for the average person, it may not be that case, but I think it's interesting moving away from that point of the average age of marriage being 31. Cause I'm quite sure, unfortunately I didn't look up the number for average age of marriage in the United States. That would have made sense. But I'm quite sure it's younger than that. I'm sure it's something in your late 20s. So I think that's a really interesting comparison because that shifts the entire timeline. It shifts the age that you then go on to have children. And, oh, it's funny because the title of this um, documentary was about um, Koreans going extinct due to this um, delaying of marriage and then of having children and then having less children. So... That's interesting. I think the existence of another timeline shows that the one that we have here is not definitive. It's not the only um it's not the only lens through which you can view relationships, the growth of those relationships and the development of families. There are other ways of doing it. And there are other ways that work. So definitely don't feel like because you live in the United States and you haven't had sex by the time you're 25, that you're some weirdo, that your life is over, that you're, you know, you're a failure because it's not true. You know, in other countries that might be right on track or whatever it may be. So, yeah, that was just the purpose of me mentioning that. Just shows that you shouldn't be too concerned with the American timeline. It's not the only timeline and it's not necessarily the correct one. So, Yes. Do things at your own pace. Do things at the times that you are the most comfortable. That's all. So kind of moving forward, I want to touch on social media and relationship culture because I do feel like the two are very, very, very closely related. You know, you go on social media and especially if you look back to other platforms, I'm primarily going to focus on Instagram, but other platforms like Tumblr. I was not a heavy Tumblr user when I was younger, but I've heard a lot of the stories about Tumblr culture. Also looking at things like Pinterest, right? These are, you know, between Tumblr, Pinterest, Instagram, these are platforms for social media where you see a lot of these perfected images of people in relationships. You know, you see the couple frolicking on the beach. You see the picnic. You see, you know, the perfectly posed images, etc. You're seeing such a perfect representation of relationships overly perfect, honestly, unachievable because it is a posed picture at the end of the day, right? That you are like, I want that for myself because it's a perfect life, you know? It's not just coming from the desire for you to be in a relationship with another person, but for the perfect life that you assume comes with being in a relationship. And I feel like that can be quite harmful because especially when you're very young, as I mentioned, the average age to start dating for girls is 12, 13, for boys- is that you what might enter these relationships at these ages where you're heavily consuming this content from social media? You're going into these relationships thinking that that's what it's going to be like. And I don't doubt that many people have probably experienced a lot of disappointment entering these relationships, and it's not the picture perfect thing that you expected it to be. And yeah, you know, you're not going to see couples fighting, or you may honestly even see. You know, these romanticized images of of emotional and physical abuse, you know, of people being pinned to walls and thrown around and dragged by their arms. Like that's not normal. That is very much abuse, right? But in these images, in these stills of what we consider to be perfect relationships, we take that as yes, that's what I want. That's what I want. That's what I want. And yeah, as I said, I feel like that's quite harmful. It's that's not what the reality of a relationship is. Um, yeah, you don't, then you enter relationships not knowing how to solve conflicts because you didn't expect there to be conflict. And I think that that's so interesting. That's really interesting. And another thing, not only do, do the social media give you this kind of warped perception of what being in a relationship is like, it kind of almost forces on you. Or overwhelmingly suggests that you should be in a relationship. That if you're not in a relationship, you're in the out crowd. You know, there might be something wrong with you, even if you're not in a relationship. Because everyone should want to be in a relationship, because why not? It's so perfect, right? And yeah, especially you go on social media and you're seeing all these kids that are probably around your age, all in these perfect relationships. And yeah, it can take a toll on your self-esteem because then you wonder why am I not in a relationship? And that honestly will then probably even fuel your desire to be in a relationship. So yeah. And then another note, just that seeing those images and desiring that lifestyle and desiring that perfect relationship, which of course we know perfection doesn't exist, but then you desire that relationship. So then when you end up in a relationship, you end up trying to model it after these relationships you've seen on social media, you take those picture, perfect pictures I guess that didn't make much sense but you go to take these um these perfected edited images you upload them to social media some other kid sees them strives for the same thing gets in a relationship etc the whole cycle continues and it's all a fascinating thing honestly to watch play out so yeah like seeing my own friends get into relationships and seeing how that looks on social media and maybe hearing the behind the scenes of what that relationship is like when we discuss it off social media is the most fascinating thing because of course, if you didn't know these people personally, you might not know what goes on behind closed doors. So yeah, nothing wrong with posting a relationship on social media, but if you're a consumer of this content, you should definitely take it with a grain of salt and know that nothing is perfect. And that goes for relationships too. This is kind of a fun point moving on of something I really wanted to discuss, of personality versus looks. I feel like this is something, I think we all know the answer to this. We all know, to me, personality matters just a tiny bit more than looks. If we had to put this in percentages, I'd say maybe like 60% personality, like 40% looks. And here's why. Looks matter. I don't think anybody, I think we're all lying to ourselves if we try to sit here and say, only personality i only care about personality whatever if you have no form of attraction to this person you won't even care to learn about their personality like point blank period the beginning of a relationship does stem from attraction you have to look at this person and decide this is someone who might fit my type or this is someone who i'm attracted to and this is someone i want to get to know more the basis of you wanting to be in a relationship with this person off bat Is the fact that you are attracted to the way that they look, period. So, although looks can be what gets your foot in the door, what kind of gets a relationship rolling and what maintains a relationship is not looks. You can't spend a whole relationship staring at each other's faces the entire time, you know? That's nothing. Personality is what maintains a relationship, it's what you have in common, it's what you don't have in common it's your interests. it's who you are as a person it's what you value in life it's your outlook on life etc those are the things that maintain a relationship those are the things that you fall in love with with a person i think that's the thing you can like a person totally based off of looks but i think in terms of falling in love with someone that's personality for sure so yeah and yeah and i think at some point personality does come to overpower looks you know people change That person might grow a mustache or whatever it may be that you think is absolutely horrendous, but you're so in love with their personality. It's not like you're going to break up with them, right? Because they have a mustache. That was a strange example. But yeah, I think personality matters more for sure. Um, You know, looks fade, looks change. Can't really rely on that. So yeah, looks matter, but personality matters more. That's my note on that. So we're going to kind of take a pivot and I'm going to very embarrassingly share with the internet why my love life has been so unsuccessful. So I kind of want to start off by talking about, I'm going to address the fact my love life is non-existent and that is why it is unsuccessful, right? But kind of taking my own advice on what I said earlier about the timeline, I've tried really, really hard to not beat myself up for not adhering to the timeline or the fact that my life hasn't really fallen into place with these average ages that I mentioned earlier. I try not to view myself as some failure. I try not to blame myself too much for any of it to say, oh, there's something wrong with me and that's why I haven't done this or done this or done that, because that's not true. Um But I can definitely address and I can admit to myself the ways that I might have contributed to the lack of love life that I have at the moment. So starting off with lack of self-marketing and lack of confidence. Part of being in a relationship is being confident in your ability to provide for another person and to be the shoulder for another person. I don't know if that made sense at all, but you know, it's a give and take situation and you have to have confidence in your ability to do both. Right. And I lacked the confidence in myself to do that. Cause it's like, Oh, no one would want to date me. No one wants to be with me. I suck. I'm not attractive, et cetera, et cetera. Right. So lacking that confidence, no one's going to want to be with you. Point blank, period. You know, so, and that ties into self marketing. You have to have the confidence in yourself to then market yourself as a potential partner. You know, if you do speed dating, you have to list off your best qualities. Having self confidence allows you to acknowledge what your best qualities are, self-marketing then allows you to tell that to another person and persuade them to want to date you, like a business deal, like an elevator pitch, essentially, right? That's what that is. And I lacked that and kind of still do, if I admit that to myself. Getting better, but not perfect. But perfection doesn't exist. That's besides the point. Um. Yeah, I think I can admit that lacking in those departments took a serious toll on my love life, in me not being willing to pursue any romantic interests I may have had throughout my life. And yeah, so learn from me. Um, confidence matters. Also, another point on confidence is confidence in itself is an attractive thing. Of course, too much of it becomes arrogance, but a healthy amount of confidence in yourself, in your looks, in your personality just confidence in general, is an attractive thing to other people. You know, if you walk around hunched over, looking very uncomfortable, just not looking content with life or looking content with yourself, that kind of closes doors around you and kind of turns other people around you off to both romantic and platonic relationships versus walking with your shoulders, you know, pushed back, standing very confidently, walking very confidently, looking comfortable in your own skin and who you are as a person, being just having a air of confidence around you is an attractive thing to other people, period. That's something I've noticed in myself and within others. And that's facts. Um, another thing I can admit that I've done wrong is waiting around for someone to approach me. and you know, buying into everything about chivalry and what a quote unquote traditional man should be like. You then, as a woman, might wait around for a guy to approach you to initiate any romantic relationship. If you're, you know, if we're talking like this day and age of social media, you wait for the DM instead of sending one yourself, right? You wait for someone to ask you to prom rather than asking the guy or girl or whoever it may be that you've been eyeing this entire time. So I think that that's a really interesting thing. And I feel like I really did buy into that. And when you wait around for other people to approach you, first of all, the person, it could simply be that they never noticed you. And that might not be your fault. You may not run in the same circle. You may not go to the same school, et cetera. They simply just might not know you're there. And maybe you never know. You could, you two could be perfect for each other, but because you never made that move and didn't make yourself known to that person, that was an opportunity missed, right? So I think that I'm at a point in my life where I'm realizing that if you want something, you go for it and I've been trying that out. It's been unsuccessful, but at least now I can look back and say, I tried, I approached this person and it just didn't work out. As simple as that. Rather than living a life of regret and being like, I had a crush on X, Y, Z, this person, this person, and this person, and never once approached these people or let them know that I had romantic interest in them. So then for that reason, can I really blame them solely for being the reason why we didn't end up in a relationship. No, that doesn't really make any sense. And the person you're pursuing could be in the same position as you, waiting for you to approach them. And it's kind of just the both of you sitting around waiting. And of course, if you sit around and wait all day, nothing's going to happen. So my advice to you is, if you have any form of romantic attraction to, to someone, even if it's a platonic attraction to someone being like, I see this person, they seem super cool, I want to be their friend, right? go for it. You only live once and it's better to approach and be rejected than to not try at all. And yeah, that's kind of where I'm at right now. The rejection doesn't hurt as much when I initiate it because then I'm like, I tried, it didn't work out. That's just how life is. you know. Not everyone's going to be in love with you. Not everyone's going to be attracted to you. It's as simple as that. So yeah, go for it is my advice. And my final point on why I've decided my love life has been unsuccessful is simply not really meeting anyone that meets my standards. There is nothing wrong with having high standards. Um, there's nothing wrong with knowing what you want out of a relationship and what type of person you want to be with. I think, of course, I don't think you should narrow yourself or necessarily always look for someone, for someone who is the same as you, because I do think there's some truth to opposites attracting to an extent, of course. Um, But I think that there are certain you should acknowledge within yourself the key non-negotiables that you're looking for. So if you're looking to have the the same stance on this, this person has to desire this in life. This person should want to be like this or want to live like this. If you have a list of non-negotiables, that's fair game, totally. You know, there if you know, if you decide your life's dream is to buy a van and for a year drive around the the country and sightsee and whatever you want to get married later. You don't want to have biological children. You want to adopt. And these are like non-negotiables for you. And you meet someone who does not want the same things. They want to have kids at 20. They want to get married at 21. They want to buy a house at 23 and they want to live in one place for their entire life. Of course, that person doesn't meet your non-negotiables. And Better that you recognize within yourself what you want and express it to this person early on and save yourself heartbreak down the line. That's where I stand on that. So, yeah, there's nothing wrong with having high standards because my theory is that if you could dream it, someone is living it, if that makes sense, right? You can't dream of dating someone who will always open doors for you and then that person doesn't exist, you know? That's my mindset on how life works. So, yeah, nothing wrong with having high standards. It's really important, you know, going into a relationship to understand what you want, who you want, and how you want it. And I think that that makes for good communication and will make for a better relationship. Yeah. Yeah, that's my take on that. And kind of continuing on this note, I kind of want to but also address what I've learned about myself and how I've grown in being single. Um, I'm not going to sit here and be like, Being single is the greatest thing that has ever happened to me in my life. I never want to date anybody, yada, yada. Because I feel like this might be so bad, but like I feel like anybody who says that is lying. Because as I said before, like there are, you know, just some naturally human reasons to want to be in a relationship, romantic or platonic, right? We can't escape that. Everyone wants someone, right? Of course, if you're asexual, that's something else, but I don't know if that applies to friendships. So, um, Do it that way you will. So yes, back to my point of what I've learned about myself and how I've grown. um, I spent a lot of time with myself and I don't think I was spending meaningful time with myself until the spring semester of my freshman year. I expected to go to school and make all of these friends overnight and yeah, have a, a bump in, you know, social life you know, being the life of the party. And that didn't happen at all. So one, I faced extreme disappointment with that, but then also took it as a learning opportunity and said, okay, I'm going to use this time um, and spend time with myself. And something I started doing is taking myself out. I realized that a lot of the things I was desiring in a relationship were things I could provide for myself. So then I was kind of like, okay, one less reason for me to need to be in a relationship. So I took myself out, on dates. I would try to find the time on my schedule and I did the things that I've been dying to do. And had previously told myself I could only do this with another person. I decided, no, I'm going to go do it myself. I took myself to the museum. I had picnics with myself. I took myself out to lunch. I would grab a book and read it outside. I would take the time to kind of delve into my personal interests, like starting a podcast. And writing i got into journaling which brought me even closer to myself it's really interesting because you think that all the time that you send you spend sitting alone in a room that that's time spent with yourself but that's not meaningful time spent with yourself you know i've really had that opportunity to get to know myself i realize how much i love museums how much i love art how much i love writing how much i love reading and you know if you asked me six seven months ago what are your interests what do you like to do in your free time you know, in general, what interests you? I would not have been able to give a concrete answer. I had no hobbies. I had nothing that I could think of off the top of my head that I really enjoy doing, but having spent the past four months meaningfully alone, if that's what you can call it, has been such a great experience. And like, I can't even lie, like how much I've enjoyed it. I can't say that I've never gotten bored because I totally have, you know, I'd be like messaging people being like, do you want to have dinner with me, lunch, whatever. And would and totally enjoy the occasional opportunity to spend time with another person, but then also realizing that there is so much value in being with yourself. And is being with yourself really being alone? You know, that's another question. You are someone and you're just spending time with yourself. So I totally encourage that. You know, for the past, you know, 19 years of my life, I've only spent the past four months meaningfully alone. The rest of the time I was just alone and really felt like I was alone and didn't feel like I was good company for myself. And I do think that that translated into some of my relationships, because if I didn't feel like I was good company for myself, I would subconsciously be projecting onto other people that I am not good company for them. So yeah. And yeah, that's not even fully what I wanted to address right now, but yeah, that's definitely probably the biggest takeaway I've had from, spending the past four months locked up in my dorm room with zoom university um another thing that i'm really proud of myself for kind of working on is self-confidence i i don't know i feel like i've become less reliant on others for validation and spending so much time with myself and learning about myself and my personality i'm like wow you have a damn good personality you are so cool who wouldn't want to hang out with you you know and i think having that much more to offer myself and to have to offer others has just been such a great experience. And that growth and confidence has just made me happier. Honestly, it's made me happier with myself as a person. And yeah, it's, it's also made me realize what I'm looking for in both platonic and romantic relationships with other people. Because if I can definitively say I like art, I like watching movies. I like going to the museum. I like reading books. I like writing. Then if I meet someone, I can verbally tell them, these are the things I like. Do you like this too? And it makes it that much easier to find a compatible match. So that's that. Um, Yeah, so I've been able to nail what I'm looking for in a relationship, as I said, both platonically and romantically, and have been able to kind of create a mental list of what needs I have that I believe need to be filled or could be fulfilled, better word, by a relationship. Because as I said, there are certain things that I previously thought I could only do with another person and was kind of waiting around and never really acting on it. But then I realized those are the things I could do for myself. So kind of moving that from the relationship list to the me, myself and I list has really narrowed what I'm looking for in a relationship. And in some ways has made me realize That I don't need to be in a relationship as much as I once thought I needed to be. So, yes. And finally, I, kind of on the similar note, have come to understand what type of person I'm looking for. I am not about to sit here and detail my type to the internet. But it's definitely just made me understand what I am looking for. Because now that I know myself better, I know what I'm looking for. So, Yeah. 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 I've said yeah enough times now. Moving on. Um, yeah, moving away from myself and talking a bit more generally for a second. I I don't think this is controversial per se, but it's in acknowledge the fact that relationships need more than love to last. I don't think that just you desiring to be with another person is enough to have a sustained relationship. So this also kind of gets to that point of do you believe, because I know not everybody does, do you believe in the idea that there can be right person, wrong time? And I do. And some people say that if it's the right person for you, it doesn't matter what time in your life that they enter, they're always good for you. I mean, they're good for you. Yeah, that's probably not the way I should have phrased it, but it's a matter of can you handle being in a relationship and can you be um a good partner to that person? If you're going through... A rough patch in your life, you have a lot of personal issues to work on, etc. You might not be in the headspace to support a relationship. So although this person is perfectly compatible to you, it just might not be a time in your life that you should be in a relationship. Case in point, myself. I can look back on so many of the crushes I've had in my life, and I'm honestly and truly so grateful I have never dated any of the crushes I've ever had because I can look back and say that and see that I had so many. Personal problems that I hadn't worked through that if I had been in a relationship with this person as an insecure, uninformed, kind of naive partner, that it would not have been a good relationship. Simple as that, right? I think so many of the lessons I've learned, I've learned at the right times. And yeah, I've saved myself a lot of heartbreak in that. So yeah, I totally believe in right person, wrong time. It's not an ideal situation to be on, to be in. Um yeah, but back to my original point on relationships needing more than love to last, I think hmm. Okay, yes. Having a desire to be with a person and having compatible personalities, I think is the great base, it's a great basis of a relationship. But if you lack, for example, good communication, Your relationship is doomed to fail. Simple as that, right? You know, you guys bond over your favorite movies and favorite foods and stuff like that. And those are things you can articulate to each other very well. But if you cannot articulate your emotions, the problems you're going through, if you tend to shut down when you have things that are going on with you that you don't want to share or... You know, if you're upset at the person and rather than addressing it to them directly and saying, hey, I don't like this thing that you did, let's work on it, let's not do it again, and instead you choose to be passive aggressive, for example, you're setting yourself up to have this whole relationship kind of blow up in your face because of poor communication. So despite the fact that you know at a basic level you were a compatible match for one another, That love in general that you had for one another was just not enough to make it last because you lacked good communication as an example. Um, I think beyond personality and looks, other things that you kind of need to click on in order to have a good relationship, you have to kind of, I think that financials are something that, you know, not a lot of couples talk about. Of course, I don't think it's something you have to talk about if you're 16 years old, but especially when you get into more serious relationships when you get older i think discussing your financial situation where you want to be financially in the future um is very important and it's funny because this is something i learned about in the class i take this semester but you know for example if you're someone who spends more conservatively and your partner is someone who seemingly has zero self control when it comes to money they don't know how to save they buy a lot of useless things that will lead to a lot of headbutting and a lot of problems in the future And, you know, considering that, I believe financial reasons have been cited as like the number one reason people get divorced, right? Get divorced. Suddenly cannot speak, you know? You know, considering that, that's something that you should be discussing, you know, prior to getting into a relationship. So, or while you're in a relationship. Another thing, living situations. Everyone, you know, you might prefer an apartment, this person might prefer a house. Of course, with both living situations and financials, there are places for compromise but i also think if you're in a situation where you and this person are just so vastly different on such important aspects of relationships and in the future possibly marriage i feel like there was a, there there have to be some similarities right so yeah um financials living situation how do you want to live where do you want to live some people may not want to travel. I'm someone who wants to live all over the world. I might find someone who doesn't want to. That's going to be a huge problem. Um, are you down for long distance? Are you not? What's your outlook on life is the last one I really wanted to touch on. You know, I think what a person desires out of life and the type of person they want to be and the type of life they want to lead is so important and maybe it will show in their personality and you'll kind of get bits of pieces from it. But I think it's a conversation that you need to have explicitly face-to-face because you might find that there are big differences or maybe big similarities. So, yes. Case in point, please discuss important things other than your personal interests, you know, beyond the 21 questions of your favorite color movie, TV show. Like, discuss more important things because you might find that you're having these important conversations just a little bit too late. And you can save yourself a lot of heartbreak and a lot of, you know, arguments if you just discuss it now and discuss it openly. I sounded like I was wrapping up, didn't I? I had a final point to make. And it's about the need for self-reflection and improvement. I think in a relationship, both platonically and romantically, you have to be able to acknowledge how you may be failing another person as a partner and how they may be failing you and being able to being able to recognize that is very 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 difficult because you'll always be like i'm doing my best and they're not you know responding in the way that i want but you may not realize that what you might consider your best doesn't work for that person or isn't enough for this person or maybe too much you're doing too much for this person and Being able to step back and kind of look at your relationship from a third person perspective is so important because of the fact that love can really blind you, you know, to what could be going horribly wrong in a relationship. So being able to see that in yourself and being able to see that in your partner and find ways to improve and to improve together, to be better partners for one another and to be better to yourselves as individuals is a really important, you know, thing to do in a relationship and to do regularly. So, yes, that was my final point on that topic about, you know, relationships needing more than love to last. And I hope that that was really, really, really good for anyone that's in a relationship and was really helpful for anyone looking to be in a relationship. And the last point, I know I've been talking your ear off, for however long I've been sitting here. But my last uh, major point is the value of platonic relationships. As I said, you know, with social media and with this American love life timeline, it's very easy to get wrapped up in the obsession of being in a relationship and just feeling obligated almost to be in a relationship with another person. But there is so much value in platonic relationships. You know, as I said, love can blind you. And I feel like when you're, I would like to believe that, the basis of who you decide to be friends with isn't based off of looks. I feel like it's less so based off of looks. I feel, no, it's another point for another day, but I feel like the basis of relationships and the forging of relationships really comes through personality. So I think because you have to actually like this person to be friends with them, if they're pretty, you're not going to want to stay friends with someone you absolutely hate, you know? And I think that's a really good thing because you have people that are going to clock you on the things that you're doing wrong. You have another person who can see your relationships, your romantic relationships, or maybe even other platonic relationships. From that third person perspective, That can be like, oh, this is going wrong. This is something that, you know, you're not seeing that I need to point out to you, etc. And not just having a friend as a source of accountability, but also realizing that friends can fulfill some of the things that you think you can only find in a relationship. As I mentioned earlier, when it came to myself, there were things that I thought that I could only do with another person in a romantic sense, but then I found I can literally do this by myself. I'm sure the same exists for friendships, you know? Friend dates totally exist, you know? All these things that you might think you can own, all these needs that you think you can only have fulfilled by friends in many ways, sorry, that you think can only be fulfilled by a romantic partner, can definitely be fulfilled by friends. I think friends are an important thing to have in your life. Romantic relationships in many cases come and go and sometimes friendships come and go, but I feel like having friends of all things to fall back on is so important. I feel like friends and friendships, at least in my case, have lasted longer than any fleeting romantic relationships. So yeah, don't be so overly obsessed with forging romantic relationships that you don't value friends also when you're in a romantic relationship don't forget about your friends of course you know your friends will always be there for you they're great people to have in your life they're very steady people to have in your life and many times you've had those friends longer than you've had that romantic relationship so yeah friends matter is the moral of the story Yes. So kind of getting to a conclusion now, getting to wrapping it up, you know, this podcast is supposed to be the equivalent of having that friend who doesn't know how to shut up, that sociology major of a friend in particular, who loves to come to you about the things that they've learned and the things they've observed in life and just talk your ear off about it. That's what this is supposed to be. So I should stop apologizing for talking so much, but on the topic of relationships and relationship culture, I'd like to just end on the note that relationships can be complex and they can be very complicated. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. There's beauty in complexity, but there's also hardship in complexity. So, yeah, I think, you know, going into a relationship, you should always expect the best. You should always be optimistic, but don't, you know, be so blinded by optimism that you fail to recognize the potential for arguments and hardship and difficulty, whether that comes from internal issues in your relationship or just the external factors of life acting on your relationship. So yeah, relationships are not the easiest thing in the world. They come with difficulty, but they are beautiful things. It's an amazing you know, opportunity to spend time with someone you love and care for and making memories with those people. I think that's a great thing to experience in life. Not that I'm now telling people to run and, you know, be in a relationship with the next person they see on the street. But I, you know, that kind of defeats all the advice I gave earlier. But definitely allowing relationships to come into your life at the times that they're supposed to and the times that they're meant to, and working on yourself in the meantime when you're not in a relationship and forging a relationship with yourself. Yes. You know, chart, it's about charting your own path and your own timeline, doing things at the time that makes you comfortable and doing them in the way that makes you most comfortable. So yeah, don't forgo your own comfort to adhere to the standards of others. Don't, you know, feel so pressured to date or have your first kiss or have sex or whatever at a particular time because that's what other people are, other people are telling you, you know, do what's most comfortable for you. And if waiting, is most comfortable for you, so be it, you know? Screw everybody else and whatever else they may say about you for doing things differently, you know? Different is also beautiful. So, yes. Above all, love yourself before anything else. Before all this relationship stuff we talked about, you know, before providing for others romantically or platonically or familially, whatever it may be, take note of the fact that you are the most important person in your life and you are worthy and you are capable, you are lovable, you are great. Keep that in mind at all times because you are frankly the only constant person in your own life. You know, as I said, other types of relationships come and go. You and yourself are forever. So, Yes, I hope that was a positive note to end on, and I really, really appreciate if you have sat here for so long. Until now, um, it's been Crystal, and it's been the Untitled Podcast, and I hope you all have a wonderful day, and that this podcast episode made your day just a little bit better. So yeah, have a great day. Thank you for listening.